Well, millions of people are going to gather together tonight to witness a battle. Two teams with players who excel at their craft are going to be going head-to-head in a battle of the titans, a clash of the titans, to see who can claim the title as the best team in the league and win the big game tonight. And surrounding this battle, there's a lot of buzz, there's a lot of excitement, so we hear questions like, who's going to win? Is it going to be the Bengals or is it going to be the Rams? Or who's going to lead their team to victory? Is it going to be the young quarterback, Joe Burrow, with his talent and quickness? Or is it going to be a powerhouse defense that the Rams have with Von Miller, Aaron McDonald, and Jalen Ramsey? And spectators from all over the world are gearing up to find out the answer to those questions tonight. But while all the buzz today is about this particular battle, there's a much bigger battle going around, going on all around us, and the eyes of the world are tuning in. And this battle is a battle over truth. What truth is, what it means, what it means for us. And into this battle enters God's word as truth. And we as Christians hold that this truth can be known to us. And it isn't just known to us, but but it becomes our standard for how we think, how we act, how we speak, how we live. And it's delivered to us in the words contained in the collection of 66 books or writings called the Bible. And that's the premise for the new series that we're starting this week, conveniently called The Bible, where each week we'll be addressing different ways in which the Bible, uh, God's truth in the Bible, revealed to us in his word, enters into the battle going on around us. And this week specifically, we're going to see that rather than being known through wars, God's truth revealed to us, God's truth is revealed to us in words. So not wars, but in words. The words contained in the Bible. But how do we get these words, and how do we know that we can trust them? See, questions like these have become more and more popular, especially in the last uh, couple of decades with books and movies coming out, or that have come out, like The Da Vinci Code. And as a result of these questions, arguments have begun to surface. Arguments like how Constantine, who was emperor of Rome in the fourth century, officially and legally canonized or compiled the Bible that we have as a way to promote his own power, wealth, and influence. See, back at that time, Christianity was on the rise. It was becoming more and more recognized and more and more powerful. And so the argument is that Constantine recognized this, and he wanted the the Roman Catholic Church on his side, and he wanted to please a growing amount of people. And so he compiled these 66 books to please them and to benefit himself. And that's a very compelling argument, except for history. See, even as early as a few decades after the resurrection of Christ, We see the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John in widespread circulation around the early Christian church. And the church held on to these so closely and so tightly that that one of the early church fathers by the name of Irenaeus in the year 160 AD stated that there are four Gospels and four Gospels only, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So by the time other Gospels start to come around, like the Gospel according to Doubting Thomas or Mary Magdalene or Judas Iscariot, Christians all around the world rejected them as being the inspired word of God because they didn't line up with the gospels that we had. And similarly, the early church and early Christians took the letters that other apostles like Peter, Paul, and John, they took those letters that they wrote to the churches and they held them up as a litmus test to gauge other scriptures or other documents that claimed to be scripture. So by the time the direct disciples of Jesus began to die off, we see that the church had already collected and compiled exclusively the letters that we know today to be the Bible. 
And all of this happened centuries before Constantine was even in the scene. So it stands to reason that since the Bible had already been compiled and canonized by the church itself, midway through the second century, that Constantine would have no benefit, nothing to gain from making official that which the church already held to be authoritative. And so we know that we can trust the process for how the Bible came to be because the church did it, the early disciples of Jesus. But even though we can trust the process and we know how we got the Bible, the question still remains as to how we know we can trust what's in the Bible. Like, how do we know that what we have today is what they had back then? We start to hear arguments comparing the Bible to the telephone game. So we hear things like, well, the Bible's been translated so many times throughout so many centuries and years that, that what it says today couldn't possibly what it said back then. There had to have been some, some evolutions and changes in what the text says. And in addition to hearing these arguments, we see bona fide New Testament scholars and critics in magazines and on talk shows that seem to back up these claims. So they'll say things like, not only do we not have the original documents of the New Testament, but we didn't even have the first copies of those manuscripts, or the second or third copies of those manuscripts. And then they point out that between the manuscripts we have, the copies that we have, there are over twice as many discrepancies or variants or differences than there are actual words in the Greek New Testament. So how can we be confident in the Bible that we have? How can we trust it? Because in the battle for truth, we have no argument against this. All of that information, with the discrepancies, with the copies, all of that is true. Wow, it got tense in here. Now, before we start panicking too much and covering ourselves in ashes and sackcloth, I want to encourage you with the fact that we have more information than this. If that's all the information we had, then, then yeah, we might be in trouble, but we have a tremendous amount of information available to us. See, the main reason that there are so many differences in our manuscripts is because we have so many of them. I mean, think about it. If we only had one document, how many disagreements would we have? None. Absolutely none. Because the entire document would always agree with itself. So the more manuscripts we have, the more differences there naturally will be. And what's more is we can use all the manuscripts that we have to help us trace back where certain differences came from, where they originated, which scribes wrote them down. So having all of these differences isn't necessarily a bad thing. And just to give you a glimpse as to how many manuscripts there are available to us that we have, as of five years ago, the Center for the Study of New Testament Manuscripts has cataloged over 5,800 Greek manuscripts, all dating back to before the printing press. It's almost 6,000 Greek documents alone from before the printing press when widespread publication and distribution was available. We also have over 10,000 Latin manuscripts. And that's not to mention manuscripts in other languages that we have, like Syriac, Coptic, Ethiopian, Arabic, just to name a few. So all told, we have somewhere between 20,000 and 25,000 ancient manuscripts, all dating back to before the time of the printing press. But let's say we lost those. Like, let's say we woke up one morning and we're like, oh my gosh, I just lost 20,000 manuscripts. Where'd they go? Would we, would we still be okay? Yeah, we absolutely would. Because believe it or not, there are professors today who have the entire Greek New Testament memorized. And beyond that, we have the church fathers. Between their quotes and writings, we have enough information to reproduce the entire New Testament multiple times over. 
So let's put this into perspective a little bit. Uh, there's a lot we know about ancient Rome, right? Well, the majority of the information we have on ancient Rome comes from three first-century Roman historians. And if we took all of the copies that we have of their works, of their writings, put all those together and added them up, we would have less than 400 copies total. The earliest of which would come from hundreds of years after the historian died. So less than 400 copies, earliest was from hundreds of years after they were written. So let's compare that to the New Testament, where we have almost 6,000 manuscripts in Greek, 10,000 in Latin, and 5 to 10,000 in other languages. And the earliest fragment we have comes from a decade or two after it was written. So we can take a lot of comfort in the manuscripts and documents that we have. Now let's take a look at how we're doing the longer time goes on, because it stands to reason that the longer time goes on, the more distance we have between us and when these were written, that we're probably getting less and less accurate. But let's take a look at that. So let's look at the King James Version, for example. The King James Version, which is one of the most widely held, uh, respected, and revered versions of the Bible that we have. But when it came out, it was based off of six ancient documents, the earliest being from the 12th century. So six documents, 12th century. Today, we have almost a 1,000 times as many Greek manuscripts alone, the earliest of which dates back to the second century. So as time goes on, what we see is we're actually becoming, we're getting closer and closer to having a greater degree of certainty that what we have now is what they had back then. And we see this to be true when we look at the variants also, all the differences. Because as they pointed out, we have almost two and a half times as many differences as we have words in the Greek New Testament. But of all of those, of all of them, 99% of those differences are either spelling errors or differences like Jesus Christ versus Christ Jesus. 99%. And the remaining 1% are, are more significant, but they don't influence any church doctrine. There's no foundational belief of the church that hinges on textually suspect passages. So to look at one of these variants, let's look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7 as an example. We see in that text the phrase, we were gentle among you. But there's a small handful of manuscripts that we have that read, we were horses among you. That's a significant change in meaning. But none of our creeds, no confessions, no doctrinal statements mention anything about horses. And none of them ride on 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7. So even though there are plenty of differences and discrepancies within the manuscripts that we have, none of them, zero, change the foundational truths that we hold as God's people. And even if this isn't convincing enough, like even if you look at the amount of manuscripts that we have and, and consider the insignificance of the, the differences in the manuscripts, and you think to yourself, you know, I'm still just not so sure. Then let's take a look at what the Bible actually says, the words inside of it. Because 3,000 times throughout both the Old and the New Testaments, 3,000 times we hear the phrase, says the Lord. Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but, but what that actually tells us is that the authors of these documents, the original authors, believed that what they were writing were not their own words, but were the very words of God. That they were penning what God said instead of themselves. And we can look at our second Peter text for this morning and see that the apostles, the direct disciples of Jesus, were holding up the New Testament documents to be scripture as well. 
So notice the language that Peter uses when he's talking about Paul's letters. He says that Paul wrote according to the wisdom given to him. So he's saying that the wisdom of God was given to Paul by the Holy Spirit, and that was the foundation for those, those letters, those writings. Now, when Paul writes, it's not his own wisdom that he's using, but it's the very wisdom of God that's been handed down to him, and that's what's on the page. And then watch what happens in verse 16. He says that people are taking these letters and twisting Paul's words as they do what? The other scriptures. Peter is directly referring to Paul's letters, the same letters that make up the vast majority of our New Testament. He's referring to those letters as scripture. So what we have is that scripture itself testifies to the validity of scripture. And so we can be fully confident that what we have is what they had back then, and it is the very words of God. And though these words are written down by ordinary men, they were inspired by the very Spirit of God. And that same Spirit has chosen to preserve these words for thousands of years. Because in them are the truth of who the one true God is. And he can be known to us through those words. And in the battle for truth, when the truth in front of you is that you're struggling to make ends meet as it is, and then in the last freeze when your pipes burst or your heater went out, when that's the truth that's right in front of you, God's truth steps in, and it speaks into your life. See, so many people say that, that they just want God to speak clearly to them. They just wish he would talk plainly. Or they wish that he would just show up and prove that he's real and prove that he cares. Well, here he is, revealed to us in black and white pages, and he gives it to you. And in this book, he speaks to you. The real question is, are you willing to listen? Are you willing to listen? Because if you are, here's what you're going to hear. You'll hear about how Jesus Christ, the word of God, by whose power you and everything around you were made, gave up being on his throne in heaven to be with his people, to dwell among them as a man and teach them about who God is and reveal what the kingdom of heaven is like. And you'll hear about how he loves you enough, even when you don't love him, to sacrifice his own life and take on the punishment for your sins so that you might be reconciled back to God. You'll hear about how he rose up from the grave, proving that he's stronger than sin and death, and how he promises to come back again to bring everlasting peace and life to you. And on that day, there will be no mistake, there will be no doubt, God's truth will reign victorious. See, the word of God himself, Jesus, speaks words of life, forgiveness, and salvation, and he speaks them to you. And you have those words right here in this book in front of you. And whether or not you realize that these words are for you, and you can trust them. But sometimes there are obstacles that stand in our way. Like what stops you from reading them? You don't know where to start? Well, I recommend the Gospel of John. It lays out a pretty clear picture with understandable language as to who Jesus is and what he does for us. You want to read it in a particular order? Google a reading plan. They're everywhere. 
I particularly like the ones that lay out chronologically how the books are laid out. Or, or the challenge of, of reading the entire Bible in a year or less. You don't know when to read, you're struggling to find time. Well, most of the Bible apps come with audio versions, so you can listen to them on, on your way to work, or when you're cooking dinner, or even while you're at the gym. You can be filled with the words of God. Do you want to engage with these words, with the Bible more? Well, this series is for you. So please keep coming back, especially the next couple weeks, to learn more about what this book means and what it means for you. And then join us for one of the many Bible classes that we offer here. See, this book, the Bible, is God's truth revealed in his words. They've been written down for you, and they've been given to you. How are you going to listen to them? Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift that you've given us in your word. Thank you for sending us your word, Jesus, to speak words of life, forgiveness, and salvation. We thank you for the faithful people that you have chosen to record these words, and we thank you that you give them to us. We ask that you would defend us from any doubt that these words are your words. And we ask that you would open us up by the power of the Holy Spirit to be changed by them, to be molded and shaped closer and closer to the image of your son Jesus because of these words. And we ask that by these words we would have salvation because of the faith that we have in Jesus. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.